Hello, I'm Liv Bolton, and you're listening to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire people wanting to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of their life. The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with our friends at Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports. Welcome to episode five of the third series. I hope you're all well and have managed to get a bit of the outdoors into your life recently. I'm off to the Cairngorms in Scotland in a few days, so I'm hoping to put crampons on for some snowy hikes. Getting the sleeper train up there, I'm so excited, and staying in a village near Abbey Moor. Despite living in Scotland for four years before I moved to London, I never went walking there, which I can't believe, it's so ridiculous. Lots of my podcast guests, including Iona, Zara and the Wilcox family, have recommended hikes in that area, so I knew I had to get up there at some point. Keep telling me about your outdoors adventures, however big or small, it's fantastic to hear about them. And also, please always feel free to send me your suggestions of people who you'd like to hear interviewed on The Outdoors Fix. Today's guest is Emily Scott. Emily's heart lies in the mountains, and over the last few years, she's made big changes in her life to enjoy them nearly every day. She used to be a full-time chartered accountant in London, but she's now a ski instructor in the winter, and in the past few summers, she's worked for travel companies hosting treks in the Alps. In between these seasons, she takes on extraordinary endurance adventures, and in 2018, she climbed all 282 Munros in Scotland in under four months. She's transformed her life in the past few years, and I wanted to hear about how she did it, what it's like working in the outdoors industry, how she manages to take on these big physical adventures, as well as the pluses and minuses of her change in lifestyle. We had planned to record the interview outside on Hampstead Heath, which is a huge park in London, but you can't always rely on the weather, and we had to bail on that one because it was absolutely chucking it down. I hope you enjoy the podcast and Emily's stories, and if you can spare a couple of minutes to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast, it really helps. So here's Emily. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely lovely to be here. Oh, we were going to meet on Hampstead Heath, and I was going to drag you on your bike to Hampstead Heath today, but um, it's disgusting outside. <laughs> um, and you would have been freezing and wet and cold. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really nice being inside on the sofa with a cup of tea, to exactly. be honest. <laughs> so we're in my flat in London, um, and we've got Emily's bike in here as well, though. It's called Freddie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Freddie. Yep. And where's that name come from? Uh, I don't quite know. I had it for about six years. Then my friend and I were doing the NC500 up in Scotland in May. And she's always had a go at me that my bike's not had a name. And uh, yeah, he just suddenly I was like, he's called Freddie. Like it just popped into my head. I don't quite know why. He's, he's a Fuji. So you like, you know, you've got to have some alliteration with the brand name, apparently. Well, welcome um. Freddie as well. <laughs> I've got a list of your adventures here. I mean, this is not everything, but you've climbed Mont Blanc. Kilimanjaro, you've done the West Highland Way solo ultra run, which is 155 kilometres. Is it that far? You've done, well, that's what I, that's what I read up. <laughs> um, you've done 22 marathons, one ultra marathon, seven Ironman distance triathlons, and then the Evergreen Extreme Triathlon. It's funny when you say it like that, and I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, that's probably, I've probably even done like a couple of marathons since then. And... Well, I was going to ask you, so how would you describe you and your life now? 
I think one of the hardest questions that I find is whenever people ask me where I live, because um, I'm kind of like, ah, so how long do you have? I spend quite a lot of time in the Alps. Uh, so I work as a ski instructor in the winters. I'm going to be based in Zermatt in Switzerland this year, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to have the Matterhorn as my office for you. Um, I mean, I'm going to bankrupt myself living there, but um, <laughs> I'll work that out as I come to it. And then I, well, this summer I was working in the Alps as well, like working on like trekking holidays, just kind of spending as much time outdoors as I can really. Um, and then I tend to spend, when I'm back in the UK, I tend to kind of uh, move around quite a bit, but tend to spend as much time as I can up in Scotland. And then, yeah, just kind of trying to catch up with people and, you know, keep in touch with friends that, you know, everyone's on different paths. I want to talk about, you know, how your life is at the moment in, in, a, in a bit later on in the podcast, but I really want to know how on earth you got to this position, you know, how you have made this your life, because, I mean, it sounds absolutely incredible. Um, so where were you born? Where were you brought up? Were you outdoorsy? And then also, what job did you do before all of this? Uh, yeah, so I was um, born in Northern Ireland and brought up in Northern Ireland. Not that it sounds like it from my accent. I'm sure people will listen and be like, no, you weren't, but um, genuinely was. Yeah, I mean, my folks are still there, like west, west of Northern Ireland, about seven miles as the crow flies from the border. So I went to uni in York and didn't study so hard. Uh, I didn't really engage with my degree and I played quite a lot of sport at uni and I definitely got kind of more involved with sport and... Um, so then you were AU president? So then, yeah, so I stayed on for another year sports president and... Um, and yeah, after that, I remember kind of, you know, I was very much at a bit of a crossroads as to what to do after and I didn't really know. And in a way, like the year on the student union kind of was a bit like almost like not treading water, but almost kind of biding my time a bit more kind of to see what I wanted. I'd kind of always thought about accountancy was also like an option, which I realise always sounds a little bit weird when I say it now. Um, but, you know, it's like I quite liked maths and certainly like the economic side of my degree was definitely my strongest part. So you did obviously chartered accountancy yeah. for a few years. Yeah. And then how did you decide that perhaps this actually wasn't the thing for you? What was the spark? I think so. I was finding that I enjoyed the work itself but I didn't enjoy sitting in an office staring at a computer was kind of the main thing. And like the level that I was at, like I wasn't going out and meeting clients or anything. Like I was very much in the office, two screens, Excel on one screen, whatever piece of accountancy software mm -hmm. I'm using on the other screen kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I was, I was living in London and I was I actually worked out, I worked further out to start with, like I worked out towards, um, out in Surrey. Um, and then I moved into our, so my firm had a Surrey office and a London office and I basically lived in between the two offices and I'd cycle to work and I think, yeah, it kind of probably started with like cycling really because I, when I first moved to London I had a hybrid bike and it was eight miles from home to work and I kind of was like, if I can cycle maybe one or two days a week that would be good. And then I started to realise that actually cycling took just the same amount of time as getting the train. And obviously it was cheaper. Um, and, you know, then I'm getting a bit of exercise and I was playing hockey as well. Like, so I joined a club. But yeah, so I guess the cycling then kind of went from like one to two days a week to maybe most of the time I was commuting um, by bike. 
so after I'd been there maybe like nine months or something, I, I decided I was, you know, I'd been riding this hybrid and I was like, you know what, I think I'm doing enough cycling that I can justify buying a road bike. So I treated myself to, you know, an entry level road bike. Um, and then I was kind of a bit like, well, you know, I've got this beautiful bike. It seems a bit unfair that it's just like a commuter. Yeah. And, you know, I'd always swam quite a lot when I was, like, I've always liked swimming. Um, and then at that point I was doing a fair bit, you know, I'd kind of done a few marathons and stuff and I'd, yeah, always done a bit of running and, and it became the logical progression. I was like, well, I might as well give this triathlon thing mm. a go. Um, and I remember that first season I was racing, like I must've done, I think I did like nine races that first season. And yeah, you know, I started like the first one I did was at Eton Dorney and it was a sprint and I absolutely loved it. I was hooked straight away. Um, and then I basically was like racing as often as I could. And that was kind of my thing that I do at weekends. Like, mm. you know, I'd play like during the hockey season, I play hockey on Saturdays. And then I would like, and sometimes I'd like kind of as the tail end of the hockey season, then sometimes I'd then be racing, like doing triathlons on the Sunday. Like if I'd play hockey on Saturday, triathlon on Sunday or whatever, you know, kind of more and more like that first season I worked up to half Ironman distance. And then I remember New Year's Eve, I signed up for Ironman Wales for the next year. Before I went out for New Year, I was just like, that is going to be my thing next year is I'm going to do an Ironman. Wow. So it was kind of very much like, it was kind of my weekend thing that I was just getting out and doing sport over the weekend. So you were doing all of this stuff in the weekends, preparing yeah. for the Ironmans, yeah. um, doing the marathons. So, I mean, how did you then turn it from being a weekend thing where you were doing all these adventures and outdoors activities into then leaving chartered accountancy yeah. and turning your life into, you know, what it is now? So I think there was actually a really defining moment that I like remember super clearly was um, I was sat at my, I was working in the London office that day and I sat at my desk in London and one of my really good friends um, was in New Zealand at the time and he messaged me he sent me a message on whatsapp and he said check your Facebook and I looked on Facebook and he had sent me a message through Facebook messenger and it was a link to a race and it was um it was an adventure race in Wales and so he's from Wales but he was living in New Zealand at the time and basically he was like um I want to do this race uh it's a team thing we need a girl in the team like you're the girl what do you think kind of thing and I like clicked on it and was just like, yeah, that looks cool, whatever. Yeah, sure, I'm in, sign me up. Yeah, I definitely, looking back at it, I was very quick to say yes without really knowing what it was that we let ourselves in for. And we, I mean, so it was a team of four of us and we were properly in at the deep end. It was, it's still the most intense thing I think I've ever done. Like it's just, and it's actually, it's such a good learning experience because any time that I find things like really tough now or whatever, it's kind of like, yeah, but is it as bad as that was? Um, it basically, so it was from Carnarfon, which is up on the northwest coast of Wales, like up by Anglesey. Um, race started there on the Monday morning, I think at eight o'clock, and then finished in Cardiff. Um, and it was a mixture, it was 10 stages, mixture of mountain biking, hiking slash running, um, and kayaking. But yeah, I just remember it so clearly when I sat in my, like sat there at my desk in London and guess he's like, do you wanna do, you wanna do this race? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I think like that was actually like a massively like like turning point because I I was like I mean I think I can kind of brush over it quite quickly but I was definitely not very happy with my life in London and I feel like I was um, you know all the racing and stuff at weekends was kind of my get out and you know like 
trying to I was totally like living for the weekend and you know I'd get back into work on a Monday morning and be knackered because I'd been pushing myself all weekend and you know I'd be having a good time but I'd be basically spending all my money on like race entry fees or else then going out drinking as well and it's just kind of like it just didn't really feel like you know it's like why am I working so hard and you know I was, I was going through my accountancy exams as well so it's like working really yeah. hard and like you know I get home from work and then I'm studying in the evenings and like you know some weekends it would be like well I can't even go and you know sometimes I'd like oh I can go and do a triathlon in the morning but then I have to come back and like sit and study and like I look back now and I kind of am surprised that I had that level of discipline because I think I lack that kind of self-discipline now. You obviously yeah were not very happy in London so yeah what happened next? And I basically then one day went into my boss and was just like look um could I take a sabbatical like I want to do a ski season and I thought she was going to say no and she was like yeah yeah that's fine like literally she agreed like pretty much straight away and I I basically did my my final exam was in November 2013 and it was ideally I'd do the ski season straight after um but because I worked in tax like our like really busy period is up to the end of January with Mm. the tax filing deadline um so basically we came to a compromise that I took I think I had some holiday accrued and I took I ended up having two weeks off over Christmas and New Year and I went out to the Alps and I did my level one instructor course then and did a little bit of shadowing um like other instructors um over in Morzine then and then I went back to work for January and then after 31st of January, then I went back to the Alps and um, ended up doing my level two instructor course like later on, like in, I don't know, March or whatever. And I had to work like really hard for that. It's like, it's a 10 day course. And it's funny cause I hadn't, I didn't do it with the intention of becoming a ski instructor mm. necessarily. It was kind of like, I've got this time off work. Yeah. I'm doing ski season. I want to develop and get better at skiing. And ideally I want to have something to show for it and to have something to like work towards. So that was kind of my incentive behind doing my Bayesian level one and two. I passed and then I went and I did a couple of weeks teaching straight afterwards over in Italy and I absolutely loved it and was like, it, yeah, really surprised me by how much I enjoyed it and stuff. And so then I kind of decided that I did want to keep going down the skiing pathway yeah. and stuff. Um, so I went back to London at the end of that season and I actually like moved my my role within the company like I slightly like joined a different department and um, yeah then was fully based in the London office which was better but I think it was kind of too little too late for me I think I'd kind of already like slightly shifted your mindset yeah and I'd kind of gone off on a bit of a different path and actually that was much more exciting to me and yeah I think I'd been back for maybe about three months whenever I went into my boss and I just I remember really clearly I like went in and I was like do you have a moment and he was like yeah of course I come in and I shut the door and he's like Emily it's always a bad sign when people shut the door and I was like yeah I don't know how to say this so I'm just gonna spit it out but I'm gonna hand in my notice and he's just like are you gonna do another ski season and I was like yep then you left the Charter Council. So then I left Charter Council. and you and then you went to become a, a ski instructor yeah now how do you because Obviously, when, we, when I've talked to lots of people before and uh, people in, in the adventure outdoors community, you know, a lot of people say that the, the biggest fear they have is when they make these big changes is that what other people think of them. Yeah. Or, um, you know, what society expects you yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, did you feel any of that? Did yeah, you massively. feel, yeah, how did you respond to that? 
I think whenever I told people at work that I was leaving to go and do another ski season, and they're kind of like, oh, so you're a ski bum then? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm going to try and like work towards like try and get more qualified as a ski instructor. And like, you know, yeah, there's definitely that kind of stigma and that like, oh, but you're an accountant. Why don't, why don't you just like be an accountant? And, you know, you could like do really well. And it's like, A, I'm not that motivated by money. Um, and yeah, it just doesn't, like it doesn't light me up I don't get excited talking about it um and I find yeah I, I probably had a lot of agonizing over what actually makes me happy and I basically like ended up like stripping it completely like back to what are the things that make me happy and um, the two things that always came up was outdoors and active outdoors and active outdoors and active and money's never coming up yeah. in that like you know money's a facilitator it's not the be all and end all for me and it's like you know yeah obviously it's nice to um, be in nice places and do nice things but actually a lot of the time like a lot of the things that I enjoy the most probably haven't really cost that much at all and you know like maybe it's like doing something that you're pushing yourself to get somewhere or whatever and it's kind of like well you know to ride your bike yeah you have to buy a bike but then you know, once you've got the bike, then actually, you know, it's not that expensive. Or... Since that point, you have worked as a ski instructor in the winters, yeah. um, largely based in Morzine in, in the French Alps. Um, and then in the summers, you have uh, worked with, you know, travel companies, trekking companies, um, and, and funded yourself that way. Yeah. Um, so how, what do you think have been the best bits of that? And, and I want to ask about sort of the sacrifices as well. Because, yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds incredible and I am yeah. sure it is, but I would also like to hear about yeah. how, what are the sacrifices with, for example, seeing family and friends yeah. or perhaps maybe, you know, taking a cut in salary? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I make a lot of life choices and they're not always easy and there's certain things that, you know, I definitely feel like I sometimes do question it um and I think I find particularly like friends weddings are probably quite a big time that like particularly like you know when you're a bit hungover the day after a wedding and you're a bit like oh god what am I doing with my life and you know it's like all my friends are there and they're like high-flying careers and they've got their husbands and their families and their dogs and their houses and whatever and I'm like well I've got my bike just bought a van actually so that's good mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know it's kind of and it's great and I clearly you know I make I'm trying to live my life the way that I am like for a reason you know and I'm kind of but you know you know what it's like it's something you obviously there's always going to be a part of you that's going to compare to other people and be like what am I doing and should I be doing that and especially like you know with the accountancy background it's quite easy to Sometimes I'm having a low day and I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, if I'd stayed in accountancy, like I could be at this stage by now, I could be earning this amount of money. And, and it's like, yeah, but actually, you know, I don't know. I had a weird one, actually, the first time I did that, the job that I did this summer, I basically did it, the similar job two summers ago. Um, so I was working as a support leader on a two week trekking holidays in the Alps um, on the Tour de Mont Blanc. And I basically drove the van around between campsites each day, um, moved all the bags because the clients just trek with their little day packs. Um, and then I would like set camp up and I'd buy food and I wouldn't cook dinner every night, but I cooked dinners like half of the trips and stuff. And, you know, we're camping every night. And I basically, so I had no costs for the summer because I, a, yeah, like, you know, 
accommodation and food was included as part of the job. And it wasn't a particularly well-paid job, but actually I had no opportunity to spend yeah. and I had no cost. So actually, weirdly enough, at the end of that summer, I think my bank account was more healthy than it had ever been when I was an accountant. Because obviously, like when I was working in London, it's like paying rent, like paying bills, like, and you know, and then you're going out for drinks and you're spending a hundred quid on a Tuesday night and what do you have to show for it apart from a hangover on a Wednesday morning and you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, obviously there's times that you're out and you're getting rained on and it's rubbish and you're just not having a good time and you're like, oh, I'm craving that nice warm dry office and that coffee on tap and whatever. But most of the time I feel like, particularly when I'm in the mountains, I'm like, I just so happy off it. Like I just love being in the mountains. And I mean, for me, like skiing, skiing is great, but skiing is not the be all and the end all. Like for me, I, really enjoy ski teaching because I really enjoy being out in the mountains with other people and kind of sharing that passion and you know it's like yeah if they can get better at skiing as well that obviously is a bonus but it's also like just being in like amazing places and kind of and I definitely like find myself like you know I kind of like some some days I'll literally be like I'm actually being paid to do this right now and that's it still blows my mind and it's like you know I'm working towards my international mountain leader basically so that because this job that I've done for two summers, um, so the clients go with a walking leader each day, um, and that's they've got the international mountain leader qualification. Um, so that's my aim is that I'm going to then do the walking leader role. Um, Fantastic. So I won't be able to finish in time to do it next summer, but hopefully the summer after. Mm. Um, and you know, I've kind of I've worked for the same company for two years and stuff. So I, and I know the routes that they take, and I've gone you know on my own like whenever I've got free time then I go and I like recce bits of the routes and I'll like run bits of the trails and stuff so then I kind of I know my way around quite well so I'm like yeah I think like hopefully summer after next I should be doing that for the summer and then that'll be you know like actually I just also I'm like I could get paid to go walking in the Alps with like a nice group of people that we can just chat all day and like be in an amazing place. <laughs> it's like, that feels like a win. Just slightly moving away from your jobs and moving to one of your adventures in between jobs then. In 2018, you climbed all of the 282 Munros of Scotland. So those are mountains over 3000 feet self-supported in one go tell me how how long did it take you and how did you do it um so it was just under four months it was bang on 120 days as it turned out just me and my bike my my original commuting bike the road bike that i bought for 650 quid um i started up in the far north of scotland and basically worked from north to south and climbed all the munros and cycled in between them basically pretty phenomenal to be honest I was I was so lucky though with the weather so last summer we had like an exceptional summer and certainly June and July were incredible like there was when I started there was like this really settled period of high pressure that was just I mean I think I'm so grateful that I had that at the start because I think you know at the start I literally didn't know what I would signed up for and I'd never done anything longer than like a week before and it was like never done anything like that on my own before and it was kind of like oh my gosh what am I doing like I you know I, I, by this point I'd done my um summer um mountain leader training um so I kind of you know I like felt like I had the skills to like go out and be in the mountains and um yeah and I'd obviously like you know done the Ironman and that kind of thing so I like have like an endurance base and like you know riding the bike and stuff that's fine um 
but yeah, it was just kind of this like quite daunting combination of kind of everything and a bit like, I don't, I don't know, I just kind of felt like I'd wanted to do a big adventure and then I was a bit like, you know, I'd, I'd love to go and do like big expeditions abroad and stuff, but there's also this thing that I have, I just absolutely love Scotland. It can be brutal, but it can be phenomenal. And I slightly, I have this thing that I have this theory that I love Scotland and because I love Scotland so much then Scotland kind of loves me back. <laughs> and I'm like, I've had enough, like I've, I've had like a lot of unpleasant days in Scotland, don't get me wrong, but I've also had some amazing days. And like when you catch those amazing days, it's just like, I honestly question where else is better. Like it's just phenomenal. And you, and I think as well, it's just like, it's like, wow, like we have places like this wild, this rugged, this remote, and we're in the UK. And I think that sometimes blows my mind as well. I decided, so yeah, cause I had my, my road bike with me and I obviously had all my kit that I needed. And I decided at the start that um, I was going to use a trailer um, rather than panniers. Oh, on the back of your bike, uh -huh. yeah. And I'd never cycled with a trailer before the day that I no. got dropped off up there. Emily. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> oh my days. And when I've been planning the route, I kind of was thinking about the distances I can cover on my racing bike and thinking, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, it'll totally be fine to do like 100 kilometres a day, that'll be fine. Average speed, suddenly, when you're like on a loaded bike, it's like, oh wow, it was like 10k an hour kind of thing. It was just yeah. like, oh geez, like so slow. Just logistics wise then, you had the bike yeah. and you had the trailer and then you had um, so all your kit in the trailer at that point, at the first, yeah. in the first few stages anyway. Yeah. So then you would cycle to a Monroe. Yeah. You would then leave the bike yeah. and then climb the Monroe. Yeah. Then you'd have to come back to the bike. Yeah. Gosh, that sounds quite a logistical it was, challenge. I mean, yeah, it just meant I had to plan routes that finished at the same place that they started. So I'd go back to the bike. And yeah, I mean, so I would normally, well, yeah, I mean, I quite often would just like be going up with a day pack and like leaving all my camping kit and everything with the bike and the trailer. Um, so I guess there's a fair bit of element of trust. Um, although actually when I had the trailer, I think it was pretty secure because I basically worked out a really good way of like locking it up that I could kind of put the cable through the trailer and like, I don't think you could have actually opened like and got into it, like it was um, pretty secure. Um, and then I'd have other days that, you know, maybe I could like link up, I don't know, like five Monroe's somewhere where I might do like a multi-day thing and I'd take, so I had, I had an expedition pack with me as well. So then I'd go off with that and take my tent and my sleeping bag and my mm. stove and whatever. It must have been exhausting. If you're self-supported, you had to carry all your food. How did it work for you in terms of resupplying and that kind of thing? Yeah, so it was kind of just like making sure I was like passing through towns and stuff. And that was definitely actually something that I uh, got a lot easier as the trip went on because I was working from north to south. So as you're going further south, then actually you've got a lot more places that you can get stuff. Um, and I definitely had a few times like things like Sunday afternoons, like nothing's open on a Sunday afternoon in the far north of Scotland. Um, so sometimes I'd like think that I'd be able to get food and then I wouldn't be able to get oh. food. And um, and actually, I when I was planning, I was quite good about that at the start that I was like looking up shop opening times and stuff. But then I just was like, actually, I don't know how long any of it's really going to take. So I don't know if I'm going to get to Garve on a Sunday morning or 
Tuesday afternoon or whatever, you know, so it's kind of like, well, I don't know, I spent more money on food than I anticipated that I would because I was just, especially like the first like three weeks, I was just like ravenous the whole time. I was like, mm. all I could think about was food. Like I'd be out on the hills and I'd be like, it's so pretty, it's so beautiful. And it was like, you know, like lovely and sunny and dry and I, it was phenomenal. But I'd also be like, what food am I going to have? Like, yeah. What food do I have? And I was like, oh, great, super noodles again. Um, but actually, yeah, then I kind of, I basically got to the point that I think at the start, because like civilization was quite few and far between, then any time I'd like, there's a pub, great, I'm going to go to the pub and have like, a pub meal. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think I ate out probably a lot more than I thought I would. It sounds like an incredibly physical and also mental challenge. I mean, do, how far do you think you were going roughly each day? Did you have a sort of average? Um, well, because I'm still an accountant, I do have a spreadsheet that I like sat and worked out all the distances and stuff. And I kind of feel like I almost had like kind of three different stages. Like I had the first like three weeks where I was settling in and I was like hungry all the time. And like, yeah, I was like, I was just doing full days every day. Like, you know, but I wasn't necessarily going like super fast or super hard, but you know, just kind of keeping moving and trying to just keep progressing. Um, and also at the start, like in the far north of Scotland, like they're really spread out. Like the first few Munros are actually really spread out. You know, there's Ben Hope just sits out right on his own. Um, and then it was kind of maybe like a 60K cycle to Ben Klebrak. And then like maybe about another like 60K to like Inch and Damp. And then there's, then there's two, there's Ben Morassin and Conival. And then like another, like, I don't know, 30K or something to Ullapool. Um, and then from Ullapool, then I think then that was my first stint of doing like nights in the hills and doing like I did there's six Munros there that I linked up over two days, I guess. Um, and yeah, just kind of like building into it. And, um, but then like by the end, I then I guess I then had like after that initial kind of three week kind of. I guess, semi-baptism of fire, just yeah. being like, what am I actually doing? Um, then I kind of just, like, settled into it a bit more, and it was like, okay, well, I'm, you know, much better with, like, I wouldn't even say having a routine, but just kind of knowing, like, okay, cool, so I just, like, you know, this is how I pack up, like, you know, and just get on with it, and, like, I'm going to get food at this point, and, like, you know, if I was on, like, I basically kind of always broke it down because I kept, especially at the start, I was so daunted by like the whole picture. So then it's kind of like, actually, no, I'm just thinking about today, I'm going to go here and I'm going to climb these hills. And like, you know, it's kind of, or else I'd be like, okay, I'm going to link up these 10 hills and do this little mini expedition. Um, and I'll be like, right, that's going to be four nights. So I need to have eight packets of super noodles mm. and this many baby bell and uh, like this many packs of porridge. And that's kind of, you know, that's like, yeah, that was... Um, yeah, just making sure I had enough food and stuff. And then I basically then kind of upped it. I think I, I almost had like two points. I was like, this is like a level up kind of like, you know, like if you're like playing a computer game and you like finish a level <laughs> and it's like, right, level up. Um, so I had one, I basically said that I wanted, so Ben Nevis, I was doing it on the August bank holiday weekend and I kind of like opened it up and like hoped that some people would like join me and stuff. Um, so I was like, right, I have to get there for then. And I had some uh, some quite tough, uh, like, coming across from the east because I'd been over in the Cairngorms first and then I was kind of working my way back west. Um, and there's quite a lot of Munros, um, kind of, like, yeah, from the A9 
working working west i'm like i can picture it in my head and all that. <laughs> but um yeah there's like the uh like ben alder and there's a few around there and then going over and you've got like the gray corries and lock eric and like and then you're like working over to like um like annick moore and annick beg which is where the um nevis range ski center is and then Cardmore Jarrig and Ben Nevis itself. And then there's the Memorials. Like, it's like a high concentration of Munro's around there. Um, and yeah, so I was like, well, I have to get to Ben Nevis for this date. And so that kind of felt like a bit of a like, right, okay, I've got to like step it up a bit because I've right. kind of now got this like date. Um, as it turned out, actually, like two of my friends joined me, but it was such a grim day. It was an oh, awful no. day on Ben Nevis. It was like, you know, it was like minus five at the top with the wind chill. And one of my friends came up from London, Emma, and she, bless her, she just, she didn't understand that the weather could be that bad in Scotland in August. And like Jan, my other friend who came, she was one of my friends from Edinburgh, but she's a Scottish, like she's a Scottish girl. And she like, you know, we've had some, she had joined me in the Cairngorms as well. And we'd had an awful couple of days in the Cairngorms. I was like, you bring terrible weather. So Jan and I were kind of like, oh, it's not that bad. Like it's fine. And Emma's just like, <gasps> It's so cold. <laughs> and it's like, oh, bless. Like, yeah, we had we had good sticky tough pudding in the pub after, though, so that was fine. Good. So the last one was Ben Lomond. Yeah. How did you feel at that point that you'd done... Like a zombie? <laughs> yeah, 200, that was 282nd Munro, and you'd done all the Munros yeah. in just under four months. Yeah. How did you feel when you got up there? Well, I think just the, like, the push to get there was really, really tough. And I basically, yeah, so I guess going back to the, like, level up point, was about three weeks out from that, I had a phone call with my dad one night, and my dad was saying that my great-uncle was having an 80th birthday party down in London on the 23rd of September, and would, would I like to go? And I said, you know, obviously, obviously I'd love to go. It'd be so nice, big family occasion, blah, blah, blah. But realistically, I'm not going to be done then. I've still got 60-something Monroes to climb. Like, you know, it's three weeks' time. Like, but I remember then, I think, then the next day or something, I was out in the hills and I started kind of thinking. And I was like, because they're more concentrated further south, it's much easier to link, like, you know, to do days that you're linking together, five mm. Monroes, seven Monroes, whatever. Um, and I then was kind of like... I mean, I do have a lot of them left, but actually I could do it. And then I started like, you know, I had this like seed in my head and then yeah. I basically like got out all my maps and like, I think I then basically bought all the like last maps that I needed. I was like literally like mapping out routes being like, okay, so I, I could totally like link those and link those. And I was like, okay, right. Yeah. And I was like, right. Okay. But then of course I kind of was like, right, well, I've now set myself a finish date. And then I kind of, you know, like told some of my friends and stuff and like kind of publicized it a little bit being like if anyone wants to come and join yes. me um so then I was like well I now need to get there for the 22nd so you had three weeks of pushing it to the yeah and then limit. I just had like really brutal weather um and I think I definitely like because I'd had this like set, like the few days running up to it but even more kind of the three weeks running up to it was so like focused on getting to the end that I think once I actually got to the side of Loch Lomond then I kind of felt like I was done I think I just was like because then I was with other people and I knew that then I was like fine and like yeah I remember when I got to the other end and I got um once I got to the shore a lot Lomond and my friends just like handed me breakfast and I literally just like sat on the pavement like shoved it in my face just being like oh I'm so glad to be here but I was like such a zombie and then yeah paddleboarded across and then it was so surreal because then they were like well, the, I think there ended up being 15 of us doing Ben Lomond oh, together oh that's amazing and it was amazing you know it was like as I was like coming in because obviously I had I effectively had a support boat yeah because they were like with me like on the canoe and um 
there was a paddleboard there was yeah I think that was on the paddleboard as well and yeah so we were kind of like coming together like coming across as a little team which was great and someone else because the guys who'd met me on the other side they had met me with a car and they put my bike in the car and took my bike so one of the guys took my bike around and the others came across the water um and then yeah then there were other people like waiting on the shore like waiting to like greet me and stuff and I just remember being so like I was like this is the most surreal thing I was kind of like wow but then it was like really nice because when we were on the way up Ben Lomond then they were like you know it was, it was a nice it was a pretty nice day uh, it was a Saturday um, and Ben Lomond's a really popular Munro like it's the most southerly it's the closest to Glasgow it's really accessible it's got good paths um, so it's a really popular Munro and so there were like plenty of people on it and then there were these people coming down and they're like oh you're the girl that's finishing the Munro's today oh and I was goodness. like yeah I was like yeah I guess that's me and they're like oh yeah and like I remember this um, father and daughter who I met and they basically were like, he was like, oh, my wife's been following along on Instagram oh. and we wanted to go climb a hill today. And she was like, why don't you go and do that one? And like, and he's like, but then we didn't see you. So we thought we'd just go climb it anyway and hopefully see you anyway. And like, oh, I mean, stuff like that. That was just amazing. I was like, wow. And then, yeah, then there were like more people who were coming down and they're just like, oh, like congratulations and all of this. And I was just like, it's weird though, because it's one of those things that actually like, thinking back to it I probably am appreciating it more than I did at the time because I think at the time I was just so much like oh my gosh like is this really it and you know obviously I've had like such a like purpose for like the previous like four months and it was all like okay get to the next hill get to the next hill it was quite surreal and I was so slow as well because I think I just like I think my body was kind of like yeah we're done now and so I was like literally like plodding up so slowly just at the back basically being like thanks guys um and then we got to the top and like that was that was awesome actually like so they all kind of like stood in like a little arch and like clapped me in oh, and stuff wow. and that was like really cool and a really special moment and then it was weird because then it started hailing and it was like right we just need to go now <laughs> and I think I think like people were kind of like oh no but we need to like celebrate you like Monroe and I'm like no we just need to get up the hill um, <laughs> and you probably just need to have a good long sleep yeah and it was oh it was cool though like and then when we were part way down then my friend Annabelle she had baked this sticky toffee pudding cake and um and she carried it up in a saucepan like in her backpack and I had literally no idea until Aww. then she suddenly like stopped up at the side like once it stopped hailing and then like we had like cake at the side of the path like this amazing cake it was like wow this wow. is cool oh um, what an achievement yeah, Emily so... 282 Monroe's <laughs> in less than four months and I mean after that as you were looking back on your achievement I mean your body must have been exhausted but what do you when you're looking back at it now what do you think of that? Are you amazed that you were able to do it? Or what did that trip mean to you? Um, gosh. Uh, yeah, like, it was just amazing. Like, it was such a good trip. And obviously, you know, there were times that were really challenging and stuff. And um, I guess I probably, you know, I know now that the way I move through the mountains has definitely changed as a result of that. Um, and yeah, I'm much more kind of confident in my foot placements and things like that. I mean, that sounds like really like quite basic, but certainly in terms of then like doing the IML and the ML and that kind of thing. Like when I went for my ML assessment, I was Mount a bit like, assessment. Yeah, 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 sorry. Um, yeah, I was a bit kind of it's funny because I did it at the end of the winter, just gone, and I was feeling a bit like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for it. Like, oh, but oh, well, I guess I should just book it and see where I go, kind of thing. And um, when I did my debrief of my assessor, he was like, yeah, but with your logbook, you probably, like, you must have been like, I'm fine. Like, you've yeah. climbed all the Munros in Scotland. He's like, you've climbed, like, most of the mountains in the UK, kind of yeah. thing. And I was like, yeah, but 
I got very good at being like, right, I'm going up that hill over there by this route kind of thing. And so I was a bit, yeah. I feel like I've definitely did a lot of effectively like resilience training throughout that. And you know, that I mean, I definitely, I know when I talk about it, I generally, you know, think about the good bits and get really excited about the good bits. And I, I think, I guess, Storm Alley comes in. Like I, I think about the particularly tough times, but then there's the kind of in-between bits I don't really necessarily like think about as much or like the times that actually, you know, it's like, um, you know, it was really, there were times it was horrible. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm always, I'm really fascinated with like the human body and like your limits and stuff and the how I think so much, once you get kind of beyond a certain point, I think so much is actually psychological rather than physical. And actually you can do so much more than you think you can. And it's like, I remember like when I did my first marathon, like I remember at the end of that, it took me like five hours and two minutes and I was just like, never again. Like I was awful. I probably cried for like, I don't know, the last like eight miles. Like, you know, it was just, um, and yet now I kind of am like, oh yeah, like a marathon, that's fine. My final question is really, so if you could sum up what the outdoors means to you, how would you do that? Everything. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely just being outside and being outdoors is like, that's where I'm at my, you know, I know that's when I'm happiest. That's when I'm in my element. That's when I feel like I like light up and I'm just like, just excited all the time. I think just the outdoors, it's just, it's where, it's where I come alive, I would say. So Emily, who are the three people who have inspired your adventures, do you think? Um, so this is one that I've thought about quite a lot, but I'm still not quite convinced I'm sure about my answers, but I'm gonna go with it anyway. Um, so I reckon it's maybe a little bit uh, of an obvious choice, but Sir Ranulph Fiennes, like, yes. he is obviously like, well, the greatest living explorer. I think that's the like thing that's thrown around a lot. And I mean, just some of the things that he's done are just incredible. And I wouldn't ever hope to be able to do anything like him, but you know, um, you know, I mean, to be hardcore enough that you cut off your own fingers, like, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, his books are just so good as well, like, just, yeah, like, that's proper, proper adventure and exploration, like, that's, yeah, he's amazing. And then I think the second person, I think Al Humphreys, um, I think just kind of what he's done with the kind of micro-adventure yeah. and kind of making adventure accessible and like, you know, you don't have to be Sir Ranulph Fiennes, you can just go out on your bike and bivy on a hill at the, like, you know, at the weekend or something and I think that's like awesome. I think that just kind of, yeah, what he's done there is like great. And then I think the third one, I'm totally cheating because I'm actually using three people, um, but this is much more personal to me, but this is my friends, Aaron, Guesty and Ed, and they're the three guys that I did this adventure race with in Wales all those years ago. And it's definitely, they're like the three people that kind of, I guess, I feel like are probably most instrumental to the path that I'm on now, like in terms of like when I'm like being like, oh, I've got this idea, you know, they're like, yeah, or else they're like, no, you're stupid. <laughs> you know, and, and they're also like my go-tos for like, people to do things with. So the four of you make up the British Adventure Collective and so what does that involve or what is your aim there? Um, I think well <laughs> that's quite a, uh, a question that we're also working on. Um, we're actually meeting up this this weekend coming um, to kind of discuss. Um, at the moment it's mainly kind of just about like showcasing um, adventure um, Obviously, we are British. Um, it's not necessarily showcasing British adventure, but there is a 
fairly large part about doing that um, and just kind of creating content and creating like uh, adventure ideas and things. So you, yeah. spark, you spark off each other and you inspire each other. Sounds like a great group. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Emily, what tips do you have for people um, who maybe want to work in the outdoors world, a bit like you with your ski seasons and obviously in your summer um, trekking expeditions? What would you say to them as advice? I think for me, certainly the experience is key and just going out and trying to get as much experience yourself um, and obviously where you are happy yourself you might not be happy to be with a group and you've got to always kind of think so now I find like if I'm out in the hills and stuff I will be thinking if I was with a group how would I be managing the group in this scenario and I'm kind of much more kind of conscious about that kind of thing but I've only started doing that much more recently but after I've done a lot of things myself first if that makes sense um so certainly yeah I mean in terms of working in the outdoors and trying to like if you're you're leading a group, your primary focus is always going to be keeping your group safe in the mountainous terrain. And I mean, that's exactly the same for ski teaching and for mountain leader stuff. It's, you know, you know you've got to keep your group safe. That's your number one priority. Um, so yeah, I'm certainly aware of when I'm going, when I'm going out in the hills myself, then I'll kind of, will now be thinking, okay, right. So this is a more technical bit. How would I be managing the group here? What am, where am I positioning myself? What am I saying to them? Am I coaching? Am I encouraging? Am I like just head down and get on? I mean, I think the summer mountain leader is definitely like quite a, it's quite a broad qualification. Um, and it's kind of almost like, I'd almost say it's like a prerequisite for a lot of outdoors things. Um, I personally am thinking about looking to try and do some paddle um, qualifications as well to try and have a bit more of a, a broader spectrum. And certainly I think in terms of getting work as an outdoors instructor, the more you know things that you can offer, the easier it is going to be to pick work up. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it depends. I, I mean, I'm not going to turn around and say to people, you just need to quit your job and go and do your mountain leader and then you'll get loads of work as a mountain leader. Like, you know, it, it's not as simple as that. Um, you don't go and work in the outdoors for money. It's definitely more about lifestyle choices. Um, and that's something that I'm very aware of. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not it's not easy. There's obviously a lot of amazing things about it, but there's also a lot of, you know, sacrifices to be made and like you know friendships and like relationships and like being like having stability having like financial stability like all of that kind of you know that goes slightly out of the window so it's uh yeah I guess thinking about what you actually want to achieve and how you go about doing it and I'm still very much on that path like I have you know goodness knows where I'm going to be I just I, at the moment I'm like I know I want to work towards my international man leader um and I can see that as a good goal for me but it's kind of also something that I probably even the process of doing it I think I'm going to really enjoy that and like will help me in my own like endeavors in the mountains like just gaining that extra experience and learning those extra skills. And how about tips for people who want to just get out into the outdoors more? I mean yeah I guess it, it totally depends on things like skill levels and stuff like you know I had somebody message me the other day um, on Instagram who asked if climbing Mont Blanc was easy and it's such a like, it's like, it totally depends on your experience level and your skill level. Cause it's like, yeah, it's not a technical mountain, but you're not gonna just walk up there and train it. It's like, you know, it's kind of, and 
whenever somebody messages stuff like that that you like you have no idea where they're coming from so then I find like that quite difficult I think maybe if you're doing like a big trip then maybe like practice with the kit that you're gonna use yeah and maybe also realize that you probably don't need half of what you think you're gonna need anyway because I like strip back so much of what I had I don't know did you find this for New Zealand like oh, definitely. you're, like, you're kind of like why have I bought three t-shirts when actually two is plenty or whatever you know it's kind yeah, of I mean I'm ashamed to say this but I genuinely put nail polish in my first backpack in New Zealand I'm not even kidding and it's just dreadful to admit it um but yes four days our first stop it was like right that's in the bin yeah exactly I think I think that's the thing and that's actually something that I really enjoyed with kind of like expedition life it's like how simple it is and it's just like you just got what you need and it's like you know like what I've got on my bike at the moment I've literally got my cycling clothes and one other change of clothes and you know some extra like arm warmers and leg warmers but like it's just cycling kit and you know, is that's all you need. Um, and that was definitely like, when I started with the Monroes, it was kind of, I had so much more stuff at the start. And then I would like, the amount of money I spent on postage, <laughs> like yeah, posting home, yeah. like, you know, and it's kind of, um, but yeah, so I think, and but that's something that I will take away. And if I do another, like when I next do a trip like that, then, you know, it's kind of, and even if I go into the hills and do like a four day, like expedition or something now, then I know exactly what I'm packing. And I don't, I know that I don't, I basically need a set of, a set of clothes that I wear outside and a set of clothes that I wear in the tent or inside, you know, it's, that's all I need. Oh, well, Emily, it's been so lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. It's been much. so great. Thank you, Liv. I've loved hearing your stories, about, particularly about the Monroes. And you've got so much excitement to come with the next ski season and with the International Mountain Leader. So yeah. good luck with it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you again. Thank Cheers. you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Emily's episode. I'd absolutely love to do all the Monroes, but maybe at a slightly slower pace. Now time to take a moment and listen to some sounds from nature. Thank you for listening to The Outdoors Fix. The podcast is proudly supported by Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports, stores nationwide and online, offering everything you need to equip you for the best outdoors experience.